You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Julie Larson Brisher, your host for episode 76 of Meeting Pod, where we're talking the power of meat 2022 with Anne Marie Rorink, principal and founder of 210 Analytics LLC. Prior to the San Antonio, Texas based marketing research firm that specializes in food retailing, Anne Marie was the head of research for the Food Marketing Institute. Of course, our Meeting Place community will know Anne-Marie as the designer and author of the always highly anticipated annual Power of Meat study and monthly performance reports. As many listeners know, the Power of Meat report is commissioned by the annual Meat Conference, a joint conference between the North American Meat Institute and FMI, the Food Industry Association, and is made possible by Cryovac Sealed Air and conducted by 210 Analytics. Working closely with retailers, wholesalers, packer processors, producers, and trade associations, Anne-Marie has developed an excellent perspective on the ever-changing wants and needs of the meat consumer in a one-size-fits-no-one world. She understands the challenges and opportunities in the food and meat business today, as well as the drivers of success for tomorrow. Welcome to Meeting Pod, Anne-Marie. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest on the podcast today, and I'm really looking forward to learning more about the learnings from the 22 Power of Meat study. Well, thank you, Julie. Uh, super happy to be on the podcast. As you know, I am always ready to talk Power of Meat. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot to unpack in this year's Power of Meat. So let's talk about one of the overarching findings in your 2022 analysis first. The report indicates that the COVID-19 pandemic has changed almost everything about consumers' meat purchasing habits. What are some of the top line changes and do the data show that those trends are likely to stick around? And did anything surprise you in that analysis this year? There is indeed a lot to unpack in that question and the report. We're talking about 50, 60 pages worth of findings here, but I'll start with what surprised me. And that was the fact that if you look at how big the meat department is and how much we grew in 2020, and I really thought those records would stand for a while. Now, of course, I also thought the pandemic would be over a lot faster than it uh, has been. But certainly the fact that we managed to still keep up with growth in 2021 was a surprise in and of itself. Now, that was in part driven by inflation that boosted dollars. We did not quite make it on volume. But if you look at how close volume set to those enormous records of 2020, it's absolutely still a true statement that, you know, the power of meat was well alive in 2021. Behind that, of course, are a lot of different growth trends. And I would say some of the major ones were the fact that this industry has really stepped up in helping consumers solve that every day, as well as the holiday meal solution. If we look at the very beginning of the pandemic, we saw a 6,000% increase on Amazon, people looking for knives, cutting boards, pots, pans, everything one would need to cook just a general meal. So that showed us that there were indeed a lot of people with very poorly equipped kitchens, probably made an egg every once in a while. That was about it. 
but they invested in the tools. In addition, we saw uh, numbers for air fryers and instant pots go off the charts. So people had at least the equipment to cook. With that, of course, came the enormous investment in the food itself, where people stocked their freezers, stocked their refrigerators, and actually were cooking. Well, if you're not used to that, that gets old pretty quickly. So I think in year two, the industry did a really good job in being that helping hand. And that wasn't just dinner. That was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's why we continue to see so much strength in things like bacon and breakfast sausage, dinner sausage, but also in those more meal cuts. And before we saw steak continuing to move really well for those special meals that weren't happening in restaurants, but were happening in people's homes. We saw things like roast move really well for the simple reason that one was putting their new instant pot to use and figuring out how to how to cook a roast in that. So I think the industry really has understood where it can be of a helping hand rather than just being the purveyor of meat, so to say. Well, you've kind of indicated, according to this year's Power Meat study, nearly all American households, I think the number is 98.5% buy meat, and they were buying more of it. Volume sales are up 3.9% for all meat compared to pre-pandemic levels. So what grocery shopper trends drove these incredible numbers? Yeah, that's really, I think, where the entire industry started to work together very well. We know we've had tremendous supply chain issues, and that might have been between farm and processor, between processors and retailers. We hear very astoundingly known numbers in terms of the service or the order fill rate. And yet we are able to pump more pounds through the system than we ever have. So despite all our challenges, we're rising up to the challenge, which congratulations to everybody who's listening to the podcast, because we're doing the impossible, really. We're we're flying a plane without a radar, without a flight plan, without an engine and fuel sometimes, and yet we're landing it. So it's fantastic. But what is happening at retail is that it, during days where chicken was short, well, they produced more pork or beef to have in the case, or in the days that the service counter was closed because they didn't have personnel to run it or COVID cases were high. They just made sure that they had extra personnel in the afternoon to make sure that the case stayed stocked during times when there just wasn't a whole lot of product altogether. They were metering how much people were buying. And so I would say one of the biggest wins that we've seen over the last two years is really the communication levels between our industries and that of retail, rather than just submitting orders and and crossing fingers, there was so much more communication of what was possible. And I would say one of the major improvements I've seen as well is understanding that consumer who is very stressed for time right now, that good old puzzle of how many days till the end of the month from a money perspective versus I am smack out of time today is is full on back. And so this really shows the complexity of the consumer where one day they're truly shopping to save money and another day they're shopping because they need something and they're out of time. So having that whole just variety of solutions that are out there, that's something where the industry has done really well. In addition to, I would say, huge and good investments in packaging. And what I mean with that is we know that shoppers are pouncing when there is a sale or they're pouncing, not wanting to go to the store all that much. So we see people buy a little bit more when they're in the store. 
well, can't use all that right away. So there's a lot of freezing happening right now. And so it's great to see that there has been more and more packaging that is focused on either having the product stay good longer at retail, stay well in in the people's homes, as well as be in freezer ready. And I've seen more communications on that kind of advantage in store as well, because consumers might not be aware. So just a lot of small surgical changes almost that have created just a better environment that, that stimulate meat sales altogether. I think that's true. I mean, I, I know I've, I'm like Jane Doe kind of like I'm Jane consumer, right? Like I really do really look at the packaging now when I go in and decide whether I can take advantage maybe of a sale or some sort of in-store discount and freeze it for later because I don't need it that week, you know? Well, isn't there been like a shift to digital sources for, I guess, recipe innovation? Absolutely. (laughs) That's a question the Power of Meat has asked for many years, and we bring it back every three, four years. So very early on, and we're talking probably 15, 16 years ago, mom and, you know, family, friends was, was the big source of inspiration. If you didn't know how to cook something, but you were dead set on, I'm going to make this brisket or whatever it is. Then a few years later, it was mom cookbook being replaced by online searches. And that really was the beginning of the end for a mom's knowledge, because it really became digital more and more. What we see in, in the last couple of years is that more than half of consumers say, oh, I will just Google that, or I would go to our recipe side. So what we are seeing, though, is that even within that, there are some changes happening where it's not so much about the recipe side anymore as it is now about social media for the younger folks, but the recipe websites are still very valid for boomers on up. So it is an ever-changing environment. And the one thing we don't see a lot is that people ask the butcher in store. That's actually one of the uh, lowest sources of information. But what I would press all listeners on is the fact that we all spend time on whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Pinterest or YouTube, and we collect recipes that just look amazing. It's really all about that picture, that visual that is out there. But then how often do we do something with the recipe that absolutely caught our eye? And so figuring out how to close that gap between inspiration and purchase, that's what it's all about with this digital inspiration. And there's a lot of technologies out there that now do that, where you can link a recipe to stores that sell your product. And with one click, you can put all those items in the basket. With another click, you can buy them and have them delivered to your home in 30 days. So really being the inspiration is important, but also figuring out how you can relate that inspiration to an actual purchase. And the other thing I'll pull out, there's a lot of changing happening in lunch. Now, if you think about it, whether you work from home or you drove into the city, dinner is dinner to a large extent. Now, you might buy at a different store or what have you. Maybe there's more time lost in commuting, but the big changes are happening in breakfast and in lunch ever since the start of the pandemic with more people working from home. And that really means in lunch, there's a big opportunity for all things, lunch meat, for items that are already fully cooked, that can be thrown on the salad, but leftovers as well. And as we are selling meat in during a big inflationary environment, this whole idea of, no, you don't necessarily need to buy smaller portions, but 
here are things that you can do with the leftovers for tomorrow's lunch. That can be a great thing that consumers appreciate for the next day as well. That kind of brings up what types of meat or meat cuts or are claim based meats, I guess, are, are consumers still going for that now? I mean, those better for you or, or clean label ingredient claims, are they still big drivers for purchases, even over these rising prices? Yeah, we're, we're definitely starting to see consumers look for money saving measures. And it's been an interesting thing to watch, actually, because during typical times, there is a very specific path to savings. Like people don't like to make changes to their routine because routine is easy, right? So initially they just start looking for, hey, is my the meat that I want on sale somewhere? And then I'll buy a little bit more of it. Just like you just said, you know, you'll buy it with future meals in mind. Then people start to cook more, eat out less. And then there's a very specific path to, okay, I'll just buy what is on sale and then I'll figure out the meal. Um, I'll buy a little bit less of it. I'll switch stores. All of those tend to be very late measures that people tend to use. So whether or not the Great Recession has something to do with it, when we saw all of those measures come into play and people remember those a little bit easier now, or if it is just the widespread inflation and people are truly struggling, I don't know. But we're seeing just money-saving measures everywhere. And that does include, indeed, pulling back a little bit on those items with price differentials. Now, doesn't mean that everybody who was buying organic pulled out of it. I typically describe the claims-based shopper as like peels of the onion, if you will. There is the core of that onion who is absolutely dedicated to buying organic or grass-fed or whatever claim it is that they like. Oftentimes, these are a little bit higher income shoppers. They have the ability to buy it. But also, it's truly what they have as a value and they want to vote with with their wallets. And they'll cut out something else, but they would not buy anything else. But then if you go more to those outer layers of the onion, those tend to be people that either only buy, say, organic chicken or grass-fed beef or something like that. So they dip in and out or they only buy it when it is on sale. And it's those layers that are a little bit more susceptible to that price differential. And those are the kinds of folks where we're seeing either they go from, say, a grass-fed beef to a conventional beef, or they go from a ribeye to a New York strip, or they buy the steak that is on sale, even if that might not be the exact steak that they like. So there is a lot of switching happening. And of course, some of it is, is strange too in the current environment. What we typically saw is people would maybe cut out meat one day, but buy eggs or, or something like that, deli meat instead. Well, in the current environment, eggs are ridiculously expensive as well. So, you know, there's a lot of the old savings tricks, if you will, that just don't work in the current environment. Right. Well, you know, and our audience is largely processors in the meat and poultry category. Can you tease out any trends from the 2022 power of meat that you think they should stay on top of in the near future? Yeah, absolutely. Keep in mind that people are complex. So just because there is a lot of pressure on money, it doesn't mean that you can't still be a solution provider to time. So meaning I still see a big future for anything that is convenience focused. One of the big findings from the power of meat is that value added meat is absolutely about time, but it's about more than time. There were equally as many people who said, I love value added meat. So anything that's marinated, patties, what have you, 
because I don't really trust my own cooking skills. And I think when somebody who is an expert in this has done it is going to taste much better. Others said, I like buying value added because I don't like buying all the individual ingredients. I end up spending a fortune and I'll never use that spice or that ingredient ever again. So there are many other reasons. And what I see too is is just really being part of that inspiration like we talked about, giving people a reason to buy your brand, be that the packaging, be it the portion size, be it really standing for something. One of the big findings across studies and industries that I'm seeing right now, sustainability matters. And I describe that in the widest sense, taking care of the planet, the animal, the, the workers, it really matters and it matters even more to our younger and growing spenders in the meat department. And what we're seeing is we're not getting the credit where credit is due. And I think in part that is because as an industry, we feel it is the right thing to do. We're all going to treat our animals the best way we can. We're all going to treat our workers the best way we can. We've absolutely seen that over the last two years. So maybe it's something that we don't feel that we need to brag about. But when I look at the consumer, they say it's important. And then when you say, well, have you seen examples of it? They say, well, maybe a few brands. And then when I stand up on stage and I look out across the crowd, I, every single company, every single producer that's in the crowd, I know is doing something, either giving away product or, or doing blood drives or whatever it is. So figuring out a way to communicate all that you're doing for the good of the community, the good of the worker, the good of the farmer, these things are important. And ultimately, all these things matter when we continue to have to find pockets of growth in what was two incredible years, and we have to lap those incredible years. Right, right. So here, Emery, here's my final question. It's the, it's the big crystal ball question. What's your forecast then for the remaining half of 2022? And will these trends that were first reported in March, right, kind of carry through to the end of the year and beyond? And what advice do you have based on the data for the meat and poultry industry in terms of responding more strategically to these new consumer behaviors? Yeah. So first of all, the Power Meat is annual did indeed come out in March, but we work very closely with your colleagues over at Meeting Place. And, and every single month, we we produce this monthly report where we have the data, the performance data from IRI of what is happening in the category. So that includes information like inflation, sales growth, volume growth, what are some of the trends out in the marketplace? So Anybody listening that is not familiar with those, please do check Meeting Place. Uh, it's always the second week of the month or just give me a quick call or email. But what we're seeing and have been consistently seeing is a lot of pressure on price. I mean, we're sitting in the double digits for most proteins. And if you compare it to pre-pandemic, we're sitting at 20-ish, 18 to 20-ish percent. So those are big increases. So what we're seeing is dollar growth, but volume pressure. And that is something where I think we're going to continue to see. So then the question is, well, do you create some smaller packages in order to keep that price point to where consumers can still engage? Or do you continue to push the volume the way we always have? So I think there's going to be some big decisions in promotional strategies, pricing strategies, package size strategies, and really trying to understand how you can help the consumer because ultimately they're our boss. 
<laughs> right, right. Well, you know, thanks so much, Anne-Marie, for taking the time to share your insights with us today on Meeting Pod. And listeners, you can learn more about Anne-Marie's expertise and connect with her on LinkedIn. Just search for Anne-Marie, that's with a hyphen, Roarink, and that's spelled R-O-E-R-I-N-K. To link in with her on her professional profile, or you can also visit her company page by searching for 210 Analytics. And for a deeper dive into the 2022 Power of Meat report, visit our website at www.meetingplace.com. We've got a three-part series on the report starting in the May 2022 digital issue of the magazine online. Anne-Marie is quoted extensively, so another reason for you to log on. (laughs) And you can also head over to the website to access our technical article archives to get more smart manufacturing advice from our Industry 4.0 Connect, R&D Matters, and Poultry Processor newsletters. Thanks again, Anne-Marie. I'm feeling all powered up about the power of meat after talking with you today. All right. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and Altmate magazines on social media or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net.